Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, you're joined by your host, Heavy Days, here from the Upside Down Library, and we want to give thanks to our amazing sponsors who help make the show happen. CTNR, your number one seed bank in the game. All the hottest drops, the latest hits. If it's fire breeding, they got it. They offer a guarantee not only on germination, but also satisfaction. So if you're unhappy at the end of your growth, shoot them a message. They'll sort you out. What more could you want? Likewise, huge shout out to our other fantastic sponsors, Coppet Biological Systems. These guys have all the best predators, feeds, beneficial microbes to keep your garden happy and healthy. Got issues with mites? Check out their Spidex Vital. Got issue with aphids? Check out the Par M. All of them are industry-leading predators, proof of predation technology, and will work together to help ensure your next harvest is the best to date. Check out Coppet Biological Systems, guys. They're my pick for all your beneficial predators, bugs, feeds, and more. Likewise, huge shout out to our friends at Top Shelf Seed Bank in Australia. If you're looking for seeds in Australia, check out Top Shelf Seed Bank, number one in the game. Customer service on point. I stock my seeds there. Check them out. And last but not least, huge shout out to the Patreon gang. You are the lifeblood of the show. You help to ensure episodes keep happening. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. And I hope you enjoy getting access to early content, additional episodes, giveaways, Discord, so much more. On this episode, we're joined by the Australian local legend, Wally Duck, who made up one half of the Wizards of Oz, a breeder collaboration based out of Australia, as well as being a mod on the IC Mag forums for years. A very well-known figure in the Australian cannabis scene and worldwide for bringing strains such as Z99, Duck's Foot, Zoid Fuel Hybrids and so many more. We are incredibly grateful to have Wally on this episode to chat all things history, Australian politics, law, equatorial sativas and so much more. Let's get into it. Alrighty gang, we're back for another one and in this episode we're joined by one of the true OGs from the Australian cannabis scene, one half of the Wizard of Oz and a very highly requested guest indeed. A big welcome to Wally Duck for coming on the show, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No worries my friend. Uh, Question we normally ask people to start off is, what have you been smoking on recently? Um, Nothing, I, I gave up about two years ago. And um, I share a lot of weed still, but and I enjoy seeing people's reactions to it. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't take it all myself anymore. Uh, Forty years of bonging took its toll. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love it. That's that's some serious passion there. And I, I it's interesting you bring that up because I think there's some people in the community who would probably really struggle to. Um, to sort of identify with how that must feel like, as you said, you know, to 40 years to be so involved and to sort of give it up. Did you find that like really, really like, you know, is that like the hardest thing you've ever had to do or is just one of those things that, you know, you sort of got on with and did? Oh, no, it was really hard after so long of doing something, you know, I got, I was, I was a wake and bake guy too. I, I was up at 5.30 every morning having a few bongs, coughing my head off and, 
<laughs> Hell yeah. Well, you got me curious now, you know, what, what was the, uh, the rocket fuel for the day? I'm hoping it was something sativa if it was early in the morning. Oh, almost always, almost always sativa. Yeah. That's, that's my go-to for sure. Oh, I love it. Was there, was there anything specific that was like the go-to morning smoke or it just sort of varied with what was on offer in terms of harvest? Yeah, exactly, with the harvest. But I tell you what, I really like, I had some lau uh, that I grew for a while before I stopped, and um, that was by far my favourite. It it didn't, it wasn't like zero to 103 seconds. It it gently took you there, you know, Uh, and it let you down gently. There was no lag afterwards. It was, uh, you you still got as high, but, um, you know, it was easy on you and uh, definitely the way to start the morning, yeah. Wow, you've uh, you've caught me out. I, I'm not familiar with Loud. I've I've just quickly tapped away on Google. Is it is it the one from Loud Seeds? No, I, we got it from uh, one of our friends from the forums. Uh, he lives out in uh, Udon Thani in Thailand, beside Lao, and uh, he rated it as some of the best sativa he'd had. So, yeah, he sent me some seeds. I grew it, and um, I grew a fair bit of it. I I, I kept a cutting and. Uh, we just kept pumping it out for a while. Uh, amazing. And and now I have to own up for being a, a real goose. I thought you said loud with like a D on the end. You meant loud, like, yeah, yeah, the, the Southeast Asian variety. God, duh, sorry. Of course. <laughs> that's that's cool to hear. Okay. And, uh, and, and what was the variety like? Was it like more like what people might think of like a typical Southeast Asian, like a Thai, Cambodian sort of thing? Or how would you describe it in like flavor and effect? Oh, yeah, it reminded me a lot of Thai. It just didn't seem as potent off the bat, you know what I mean? It, it, it didn't smash you. Uh, but um, like I say, it was a bit gentle on you, and, and that's what I enjoyed about it. I, I was getting older. I didn't need that, you know, zero to 103-second kind of gear. Uh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Look, I, <laughs> you know, no one needs to be smoking like A5 or C5 first thing in the morning, I bet. That's cool. That's cool. And something I've always been interested in is I've, I've always heard speculations around the true lineage of Cali Mist. And I, I've heard people even throw like Lao and Cambodian sort of names in the mix. Have you ever had any experience with the, the infamous Cali Mist and any sort of ideas around what the genetics might be? Oh, yeah, we tried it. We grew some here and um, I really liked it. It was, it was strong. Good, good weed. Um, the, the lineage, I no idea, but um, it, it was familiar to me, that's for sure. Yeah, quite, quite likely did have some Southeast Asian in there. Nice. Okay. Well, I mean, before I forget, out of all the sort of Southeast Asian varieties you've tried, what are, what are some of the most memorable ones to you? Oh, it'd have to be Thai. Yeah. I, I grew up on that. I, that was the first weed I ever smoked and we smoked a fair bit of it. And um, there was uh, just Thai sticks when I started and um, it actually made me sick the first time I smoked bongs. I, I was throwing up, yeah. but I, I went back for more. i love it so it's funny you mentioned that because before you even said it i was sort of thinking to myself you know you hear these stories of people getting sick off the tie sticks and some have even gone so far as to throw the idea out there that like maybe they had some sort of opium on them or you know whether it's wives tale or not have you ever heard or thought anything about those rumors yeah yeah we've had big debates about that i I don't i don't think so uh i i think for uh 
you know, inexperienced people that are not used to that that sort of weed. It it was really strong, and um, yeah, I threw up a fair bit, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I went back again. I love that. I love that. Real men go back. <laughs> okay, that's cool. That's cool. And I mean, before I forget. I just wanted to ask you, I, I heard from someone, I can't remember who it was, so apologies whoever told me this, but they said that when you're dealing with people who have lots of pain, a lot of people think, oh, you know, give them an indica, that's pain killing. But then they were like, that's actually not true. You're probably actually better to give them like something really sativa because the way it like is stimulating and creative, it's actually better to be distracted from the pain than to sort of have something that's like an analgesic for the pain. Have you ever thought anything along those lines? Have you ever thought like maybe sativas are actually better for pain-killing properties than people sort of let on or what's your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know about pain-killing part of it, but my, my mum, she had um, pretty severe um, uh, lung problems and um, I used to give her hash a lot to, to make cups of tea with and coffee and she, she ended up vaping it too, but... Um, it was mostly sativa because that's that's what I like, and uh, yeah, she said just the way it makes you feel, the happiness, the euphoria. You know what I mean? That that's what was getting her along. She said I, there was nothing else to live for apart from, do you know what I mean? Being a bit happy. Uh, I don't think Indica would have done that for her. Might have might have helped her with the pain, but um, as far as uh, you know, your well being, your your sense of happiness, that sort of thing. I I totally agree. Sativa is great for that, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's cool to hear. And, you know, uh, thanks for sharing that sort of personal story. Just to loop back a question, you mentioned, you know, the first thing you smoked was Thai. The other question we normally ask people first is, tell me about your first experience with cannabis, you know, like paint me a picture. How did it go down? Um, joints with my brother-in-law. I was about 14 and um, I was just sitting here. He, I... I my sister said I was, wasn't allowed to smoke any weed till I was 16, but uh, my brother-in-law obviously had other ideas, and uh, he passed me the joint. And I smoked the whole thing. It didn't even do anything to me. And um, I smoked too, and, and I was still sober, you know, and uh, he said he wasn't going to give me any more. <laughs> he said, I better get up and go and do something, you know, to activate myself, to get, get, get it going, you know. And, um I stepped into the kitchen, which was a step down, and it, and it hit me then. And it was just, I was in a different place altogether. It was uh, fantastic, actually. I, I had the most delicious lamb roast I'd ever eaten that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Please, for all of our international listeners, I've been told on good authority, not many people eat lamb outside of Australia. Eat some lamb. It's so bloody good. Oh, you can't go wrong, can you? It's my favorite meat, you know. My my partner will kill me because she swears up and down pork's better, but I'm like, nah, lamb for life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so um, at that time, was there still like a commercial Thai stick import being brought in? Yes, I think it 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 kind of uh, it stopped not long after that. But um, we had another lot up to about I think it was like '84 or early '85. We had some. Um, stuff they call gold, golden buddha it was golden tie and yep. uh, oh that was beautiful lovely pot i remember it clearly uh super strong i'd say it was stronger than the tie sticks yeah wow 
that yeah that's that's seriously strong and i mean there's been <clears throat> ongoing discussion for forever but um, you know, you've grown a lot of these sort of Southeast Asian varieties yourself. Do you feel like you were ever able to replicate the flavor and effect you got from the import or like the terroir just really can't be replicated in that sense? Oh, not, not back. I lived in Melbourne back then, so we didn't have much chance of trying to replicate, you know, a tropical variety outdoors. And we, we were growing outdoors. So um, up here, though, <coughs> up in Queensland, North Queensland, there was stuff that was very similar those tie sticks uh i had some a few years after i'd first tried weed um that my mum sent me actually and um i remember riding my push bike and i think it was the fastest i'd ever gotten from a to b you know (laughs) (laughs) just imagine like little wally duck just fanging it down the road (laughs) that's awesome okay cool 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 well yeah i mean up north in like far north Queensland, do you feel like the conditions are similar enough that you can essentially replicate sort of, you know, those Thai varieties? Oh, where I live is exactly the same latitude as where they grew a lot of that Thai stick. It's like 17 degrees, which is the same as Udon Thani, uh, which is where a lot of that stuff around those provinces came from. So, yeah, you can definitely replicate it. Down the road, there's a, a climate that's exactly the same as Thailand. It's dry, a little bit arid, uh, hot. Uh, I think the average temperature is like about 29 all year. Lovely. Uh, Yeah, it's not like that where I live. I get a bit too much coastal sort of influence where I am. Uh, Sometimes it's good, you know. Sometimes we have a nice end to the monsoon season, but other times it keeps drizzling on and on. And, uh, yeah, the wheat doesn't like it. Interesting. And I mean, before we go too much into the Australian medicinal scene, out, out of curiosity, are there any operations up there that you're aware of taking advantage of these conditions? No, uh, there was a bit of hemp being grown, but it was pretty haphazard the way they were doing it. So I don't know whether much was, well, it might have been just trial crops. I don't know. Uh, I know they trialed some hemp up here. I think it was just for fibre. Uh, it did very well, but um, otherwise, no, I. I'm not aware of any any weed being grown up here for any legal stuff anyway. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I think, it, yeah, it, like as much as it might be sort of left of field and maybe not marketably viable at the moment, there is a huge demand internationally for uh, these Southeast Asian varieties grown in that actual sort of latitude as near as close to the actual origin as you can get and I was thinking maybe that's the answer. I mean, unless unless Thailand steamrolls ahead with all their sort of plans and actually starts exporting. Yeah, they probably will. They like a few dollars, those guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you had mentioned to me in a in a prior conversation that you were, you were keeping an eye on the Thai scene. Do you have any predictions or hopes for how that turns out? I'd love to see it return to what it was, but I think it's going to take a bit of searching for them to get that original stuff back again. It's It's been over 40 years, so I, I, I don't hold out hope that they can find exactly the same stuff initially. They're going to have to do a bit of selection. Yeah, wow. I mean, it, it's such a... You just r- made me realise that, like, of course the Thai government doesn't have really sick Thai seeds in a seed bank somewhere. Like, yeah, you're right. They're just going to go there and assume that what they've got is probably the real deal. 
Um, it makes me wonder, you know, do you think that those varieties were lost just like over the years and just non-selective breeding? Or do you think it was more like the sort of strain hunters going in and giving out feminized seeds sort of thing that caused it to be lost? No, I think it was just time. I don't, I don't think that. They, I've seen people on uh, like Facebook, Thai, Thai people, they, they grow all sorts of different weed, but I think they know to keep, do you know what I mean? Keep them separated a bit. I, I, know, I know they probably crossed them and that, but they're not silly. You know, they know that they've got something special in that stuff. So I think they do keep it separate. Uh, but there, there's lots of different weed there. But the, the bulk of it seems to be um, the uh, the stuff available on the street, for instance, is, is I think, Lao. Everyone seems to agree. Uh, it's, it's compressed brick sort of stuff. And um, everyone seems to agree that it's, Likely from Lao, it's it's quite, some of it's quite good. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because when you talk to a lot of Australians, I guess you know the ones I'm talking to aren't necessarily super plugged into the cannabis scene, but they smoke weed at least every now and again. And my friends who have been over there would sort of say like, oh, you know, like you can score it at a pub or whatever, but it's not, it's nothing good. I'm I'm guessing that's not the stuff you're talking about. Oh, I think I think it varies with quality. Do you know what I mean? Some some was good. So we had some that was so sticky that it, at, when you poured it into the bowl or or wherever, it still moved around by its by itself. You've seen stuff do that before? Yeah, wow, like static or something. Yeah, that's cool. They called it dancing tie. They called it, and um, yeah, it was pretty potent stuff. I I don't think it compared with the tie stick, but uh, it was still quite good weed. Yeah. Yeah, wow, okay. And I mean, just as a purely hypothetical, if if you had been contracted by the Thai government to go over there and to just get it all sorted for them, would you be like thinking, I need to go around to different farms and collect some different stock? Or instead, would you be like, you know what, probably going to have better chance just asking some like old forum heads for like their Thai seed stock instead? Uh, probably some of the older seed, but it, it's probably... Probably growing in Lao as well. Uh, it's it's only next door. The seed would have absolutely ended up there too, and they still grow plenty of weed there. So <laughs> I think you can grow it in your backyard, like always have been able to in Lao. It's been no restriction. You know, you can grow a few plants. No one cares. So um, yeah, that's cool. And I mean, I, I'd heard some people say that like some of the parts of like that whole golden triangle in that area. Um, because they like over the years were so heavily populated by like militia and stuff that they probably were less polluted the genetics so to speak that were there because you know they were probably focusing on on like you know opium and stuff but I'd always got told that they were still fucking with cannabis around those areas as well do, do you know anything about that or not specifically no not really I know that where I go I, I visit Udon Tani quite a bit whenever I can and um, the people I hang out with they don't like cannabis <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of ties they they really frown upon it uh it's just like the the farmer types the you know that that get into a bit of weed the the hard-working guy do you know what i mean he finishes his day he goes home he relaxes with a few bongs and um yeah well, that's so interesting to hear yeah because i i mean not like it's a revolutionary statement but yeah like a lot of a lot of asian cultures in general sort of view weed as like you know it makes you lazy it's not good we don't like it mm. oh, i think they'd think it's a bit low class to do that you know what i mean it's you're just a low class farmer you sort of worker guy and 
Ah, okay, yeah, that that makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. That, that, that's the impression I get from the ties I I hang out with. I talked to them about, it and they said, "No, you're not coming here and doing that. <laughs> not 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 around us." <laughs> Wow. Would you say that in general they're sort of more into stimulants or just like alcohol or like nothing? No, nothing. They're, they're pretty straight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, I guess it must be an interesting experience for you to go over there now when you're not smoking or consuming compared to back in the day, like you're probably seeing and doing different things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I go there for the food. You've eaten Thai food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine how good the food you've had is. Yeah, and the lifestyle. It's its really nice. I enjoy it there. It's a great place, even without weed. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome to hear. Okay, cool. Well, let's get back on track because we had a nice little little detour there. Tell me a little bit about your first grow. Do you remember the strain you were growing or do you remember like what sort of technology you were using? Was it outdoor? Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, it was outdoor, and it was just bag seed that my, my older brother-in-law had collected and um, was late harvesting, so I guess it was probably more sativa. Uh, a bit of purple stuff amongst it, uh, a bit of hermaphrodite, and um, really tall. They grew huge. It was a, would have been uh, Ash Wednesday fires in, in around Melbourne there. It was just after that, so must have been 1984, I guess. Uh, and um, it was long time harvesting. Hey? It took it took forever. Yeah. So I, I it wasn't really the correct stuff. And um, it's not like we we could pick and choose back then like we can now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like the the OG trim jail took forever. <laughs> <laughs> I barely remember it back then. We mustn't trim much of it to like we do now. That's for sure. We must have been a bit lazy with it. Because I don't remember lots and lots of trimming then. You know what? I feel like maybe I'm maybe I was meant for back then. Because I feel like as time goes by, I trim less. Like I'm just like, eh, I'm smoking it. Whatever, I'll I'll do it at the time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. And then, so what was the progression then from like you know sort of first grow to like being really in the thick of it and being like, yeah, like I really like doing this. Oh, uh, I. I just did hobby growing because I liked smoking. So it wasn't until probably um, oh, the late 90s, early 2000s that I got fairly serious about it and started to grow a fair bit of weed. Yeah. No, and were you still down in Victoria or had you moved up north by then? I was up north by then, yeah. And um, I was always worried about the laws here. The laws have always been so strict, you know, but... Um, I threw caution to the wind and... <laughs> tell, tell me a bit about it because uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who aren't aware. Like, what was the legal climate like, say, in the mid to late 90s for a cannabis grower? I think it had improved at that point, but earlier on, I guess probably in the 80s when Joe Bajolke peterson was the, the premier, they were, they were giving you life in jail for uh, production of cannabis. It was really serious, you know? I, I don't know why they did that, but uh, so you didn't want to get caught, even with just a few ounces of weed. You, you'd go to jail for a fair while. And, um, wow. Yeah, it, it did change. And I think at some point, I know I got caught so a number of times, in fact. So I think eventually it actually lessened 
than, you know, it was less than down south and I don't know why, but uh, the party, uh, political party of the day, the laws changed, whatever. But um, it's not so bad these days. Uh, I've yeah. been a fair bit of weed and um, I'm still here. <laughs> that's that's good if, if if you can make it through we're all gonna make it <laughs> okay so at the time let's say like let's let's start at like you know the late 80s early 90s when it was like you know quite illegal i'm guessing you weren't looking online for friends you were like i'm just keeping to myself and staying out of jail or what was it like i, I never even came online until um oh it must have been early 2000 2001, 2000, 2001, something like that. And um, I found this, uh, actually a, a lady in Africa, and um, she was selling weed online, which I never thought it had happened. You know, I didn't think we could buy it, you know. But she said, look, it's so cheap, why not give it a go? And you might get it. I thought, yeah, all right, I'll give it a go. And it, and it arrived. And... Um, so I, I did a little bit of business with her. I, I traded seeds with her and uh, she sent me hash and weed and and it all got here, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Was it was it good stuff? Because, I mean, you know, outside of Durban, you don't really hear about a lot of South African weed. I, I can't remember. I think she was in Cape Town maybe. But, um, and she had a variety of weed. The weed, yeah, it was a bit average. But the stuff I grew from it was pretty nice. I grew some... Decent, with some Swazi. Uh, it was beautiful. Such a, a really nice high on it. Uh, euphoric and, you know, that feel-good stuff, which is actually my go-to. I, I love that sort of stuff, you know. Uh, yeah, wow. Pure Swazi back in the day. What a treat. Damn, I'm jealous. Okay. <laughs> um, so before, bef- let's let's wind back to just before you got online, you know, let's say it's year 2000. Did you know anyone else who was growing or you were really sort of like on your own, doing your own thing? Oh, it was just locals. Uh, there's, there's always been a growing scene up here where I live. And it's been pretty popular for a long time. Uh, so locals just sharing knowledge and sharing seeds. And um, it was just bag seed too, mostly, whatever we could get, you know. It was a bit of a hit and miss thing. Yeah, okay. And I mean, out of curiosity, was there ever a sort of a definitive point where you feel like indicas were introduced? Because, you know, you hear the Californian guys talk about, like, they were like, you know, it was all Mexican and sativa, and then the hippies brought the Afghanis in in, like, the late 70s or something like that. Do you ever remember that happening for far north Queensland? No, I would have been down south. But when I was a young fella, I, um, I would have been, I don't know, about 15 or whatever. I remember um, we, we grew that sativa, like I said, and I hadn't seen any short, fast flowering sorts of stuff at that time. But um, there was a news report from uh, Mildura where they found a whole bunch of uh, weed and the plants were three or four foot tall and just one huge bud, no branching. Uh, I'd say that was indica, at a guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow, and I, I guess you probably hadn't really seen anything like that. No, I was really surprised, actually. But then we, we grew, like, after that, you know, bits and pieces, and uh, there was definitely hybrids amongst it. Uh, it wasn't all sativa. I, I started growing indoors, and we were successful, and some, well, there was taller stuff, there was shorter stuff, you know, there was a variety of 
and I'm, I'm certain that quite a bit of it would have been hybrid stuff, hybrids of those indicas and the sativas we had. So, uh, but there, I don't remember any specific point where that happened. I, I was probably too young. Yeah, sure, sure. Sounds like you were sort of at that generation that bridged, you know, like the old and the new world sort of stuff, which is really cool to get your perspective on. Um, out of curiosity, were you aware of any of the international seed banks? You know, I'm sure like the the seed bank and Sensi Seeds and stuff in the mid-90s were doing their thing. Did you know about them or you were like just like, no, nah, we just work with what we got? Oh, yeah, we, we got scum when I guess it was – would have been in the 90s, early 90s, and um, people started growing indoors. There'd been a, a real drought between the uh, imported stuff and, you know, um, Australia having to look after their own sales with the, with weed. And um, the price of weed went to like $750 an ounce at one point. It was ridiculous. And that was like probably for about a year before, you know, everyone got lights, I guess and decided, shit, we got to get our gear together here. <laughs> yeah. Some tip, you know? <laughs> so, um, and yeah, that not long after that, that's when we saw our first skunks and, uh, and Northern Lights. I, I bought a fair bit of it because uh, I'd had some Colombian prior to that, some Colombian gold. And to be honest, the, the look of the skunk reminded me of that. The, the high didn't, but the look of it. It was golden looking, you know. It was pretty nice looking stuff. It stunk. Was it that, you know, because there's obviously that never-ending debate about roadkill skunk and I guess I'm wondering, do you remember there being like a particularly acrid skunkiness to it or was it more the sweet stuff that you hear about? Well, I've, I've never smelt a skunk, but um, that first stuff we got, it it the, it permeated. It's... It really, you couldn't keep it in your pocket in the car. You couldn't take it anywhere. It was strong smelling. And um, I don't know whether it came from seeds from Neville. I, I'm actually certain the first stuff we tried called, uh, it was called Cal Skunk, California Skunk. And, and that didn't come from any seed bank. I, I'm pretty sure they had friends in California that they got the, and that was a little bit different, to be honest. But, um, yeah, the smell, and like I say, I don't, I don't know, about roadkill skunk, I, I I'd have to smell it to know that, you know. So uh... yeah, yeah. Look, I when I was in the states a few years ago, I uh, I managed to to drive past the dead one and pull over and smell it, and it's large. <laughs> <laughs> it's largely like just a really acrid, rotten garlic smell, like <laughs> like ammonia and garlic, like makes your nostrils flare and that. You know, like sometimes how. You'd smoke a strain, you'd exhale, and it really coats your mouth and your nostrils flare, and you get like a bit, almost like you got like something sour in your mouth. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's sort of what the skunk thing does. But that's interesting to hear, you know. It sounds like you had some pretty OG stuff, um, especially if you could really see that Colombian in it, which is, which is neat, right? Um, what were your thoughts on the NL? You know, we've had a, such a resurgence of NL over the past 15, 20 years. Do you look back fondly on it or do you just think, oh, you know, it's just another one of the strains at the time? Yeah, I, I didn't rate it that. I really liked the skunk, to be honest. I didn't think the Northern Lights was as nice. I bought a, a fair bit of it, but um, no, I didn't. Uh, I preferred the skunk, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. It was novel for us just to have those sorts of things after what we had had, you know? For sure, for sure. 
So continuing on, right, you've, you've just come online. What was the first thing that happened online? Was it discovering one of the big forums and you're like, oh, wow, like there's this whole community or, or was it more like you discovered some local people via some other means? How did it all go down online? I think I met a guy on, um, I think there's a forum called Sweetleaf or something like that. That's where I met that um, African lady. And, um, and I, had, I had Duxwood seeds and I, I wanted to know more about uh, where they'd come from because I'd never seen cannabis like that before. And that, that's the reason I went on the forums. And um, then when a few of them saw it, they said they'd never seen it either, obviously. So uh, one thing led to another. And um, I was on Overgrow. That's where um, I went. Yeah. Let, let me pull you back before we jump into Overgrow because everyone's so fond about it. We, we had a lot of viewers ask about your duck's foot. And I guess, you know, you could boil it down to one or two sort of questions everyone's asking in different forms. But it was sort of like, you know, first off, how did you get access to the duck's foot originally? Oh, a friend showed it to me. He, he described it a couple of times to me, not very well. Uh, he just said it was a, a, a strain with three-fingered leaves on it, which I, I'd, I've seen that before, so it really didn't pique my attention very much. But then when I saw it, I thought, whoa, I, it, doesn't, it didn't even look like cannabis, the, particularly the first stuff we grew. And um, it took him a fair bit to get it off the guy that, it, that had it. And uh, I think the guy ran into trouble had to give away a box of seedlings, and that's how we ended up with some. And um, from that, we only had a few seeds. And what we grew, we only ended up with one duck's foot plant. And um, I think, though, the, the other ones, the, the non-duck's foot ones, the, the, they'd already had some, they'd been crossed with that already, I'm pretty sure, because we just crossed one of the males with the duck's foot, and we ended up with more duck's foot and normal normal leaf cannabis and um, that's where it stemmed from initially and um, I just thought it was so novel that uh, and I, I didn't want to lose it I, I just saw it us you know silly Aussie backyarder guys we're going to probably lose it if we're not careful so I'm best to try and spread it around so that that doesn't happen you know yeah wow man for the people I love it I love it and I guess sort of uh, as a follow-up to that, what percentage of those offspring were coming out with the duck's foot phenotype? Oh, it's probably about 50%, close enough to. It took a few generations to get it, you know, completely all duck's foot. And um, w I neglected the other traits. I, I was no, you know, I didn't know much about breeding cannabis at the time. And, and I, I, I still regard myself as just a hobby breeder. I, I just do it for a bit of fun and to make ourselves some seeds, do you know that there's no uh, no interest in selling seeds? To be honest, uh, just to share a bit of cannabis, make make ourselves some seeds, and uh, so yeah, it took a few generations. By the time I made something that ended up on the market, I was a bit embarrassed, to be honest, how that I'd lost some of the important parts of it. You know, by that do you mean like the like the flavour or the effect? Exactly that the flavour. The buds looked better to me. Some people did say they got some stuff that was more similar to what we had started with, but we saved a bunch of the seed, or I, I got my friend to, and I thought that was safe. I'd asked him, you know, make sure you keep that. And uh, 
he had a stash in his freezer and um, he ended up giving it away, which I, I just, I couldn't believe it. Uh, when I, I thought, oh, look, I, I've probably messed this up a bit. I'll go back and get the originals and we'll try again. No, they're gone. Heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty disappointed. He gave them to his ex-wife's boyfriend. And who does that? <laughs> <laughs> the guy banging your wife, your ex-wife. <laughs> I need to help you out a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh wow! What a turn of events. Who would have thought? Okay, well, um, interesting stuff. So, in terms of the original, um, what what sort of flavour and effect did it have? Uh, it was <clears throat> it varied a little bit. It's kind of coffee, sometimes a little bit hashy. That's <clears throat> really strong aroma, like super strong. Uh, I would have rated it up there with um, skunk permeation, you know what I mean? It's really, really, you can smell a plant from a long, long way away. Uh, and we, <clears throat> I got some other web stuff from, uh, <clears throat> from Hawaii, uh, Hawaiian webbed indica. As well, I made a trade with a Hawaiian guy because um, it seemed like his stuff uh, was lacking the traits that mine had and a bit vice versa, you know. So we thought we'd, we'd trade and, and see what we'd come up with. And um, he didn't say his stuff was indica, but it, it was. Uh, it, it grew completely different to mine. It was no branching, small, fat-stemmed, uh, pungent little plant and um, super potent. And um, I made a cross with that in Duck's Foot, and that smelled even stronger. That, that stuff was, uh, you couldn't hide it. There was no chance. I've heard, I heard of people getting busted with little tiny buds in their car because it just stunk. Yeah. Wow. That's, that sounds really cool. And I mean, you sort of, like, I, I mean, you, you gave me the perfect segue into the next question, which was that one of our listeners had asked, do you know anything about whether the duck's foot originally comes from Hawaii? Because a lot of people have sort of said that over the years. Do you think that it comes from one spot or maybe different places simultaneously and it's just a common mutation? Well, I think it's just a common mutation and they're not necessarily related. Yeah. I wasn't sure for a while, but I asked Sam about it too and he said he found some 20 years before I was doing uh, when he started initially reversing cannabis, they found some webbed leaf stuff. But uh, he said he didn't really see a use for it, so they never kept it. But um, I, I think it's just a trade in cannabis that can appear sometimes. Sure. And, I mean, I think that sometimes the duck's foot can get grouped into this category as... Because I'm not sure if you've been following closely, but there's sort of two other well-known plants now that have, like, you know, sort of these very altered phenotypical appearances being the Australian bastard cannabis, which you're probably very familiar with, um, as well as the super freak, which is a more sort of new creation. Um, it's got like a very hyper serrated leaf, which makes it look essentially like a fern. And uh, I, I guess I'm sort of interested because those two strains I just mentioned, ABC and super freak, they're not regarded as necessarily the, the be all in terms of smoke quality and effect. It's more of like a tool to help like try to hide the crop. But what I've heard from you sounds like the duck's foot really did sort of stand on its own in terms of the effect and the flavor. Is that sort of your impression? 
Oh, yeah, particularly that hybrid we made. That was amazing stuff. The smell was so strong that pruning it would make you nauseous after a while. You couldn't really trim a lot of it. It, it, it made you feel sick. It was like fumes coming off the stuff. Yeah. I, I'd still rate it as some of the strongest weed I've ever had. It, it was really, really potent stuff. Yeah. Wow. Did, did that one ever make it out into the masses at all? No, I, I lost it <laughs> through getting busted. And I, I did try and back some up, but that was lost as well too. Just some things are just not meant to be, I think. <laughs> oh, no. Well, there you go. There you go. Okay. Well, I did uh, Australian bastard cannabis recently and, and that freak stuff. And um, I don't know. I didn't smoke any of the, the bastard stuff, but my friends smoked the freak and they said it was quite good. But uh, it was just a little bit low yielding, but um, amazing looking plant. Yeah. Well, hey, I'd be curious to know, did you ever smoke it back in the day? Because people always used to say that back in the day, it was like it gave it was like the worst high, gave you like a headache. And did you the, ever experience that? The bastard cannabis, you mean? Yeah. No, I never smoked any of it. it, it, it they seemed to think it was hemp. And uh, by what people report, it sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember just reading the word bindi or something like that and they would call it bindi and it was like, I guess it was like the old equivalent of like, you know, the beasters, like, you know, like the shitty ragweed or whatever. But um, yeah, there you go. I, I guess I'm I'm glad you haven't, uh, you know, had to smoke that. In the words of Skunk VA, I've only got so many breaths in this life to fill my lungs with and I'm not going to waste it on something shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so sort of jumping back to the timeline, what was the first strain you ever bred and was it intentional or was it an accident? We used to make seeds for ourselves out of the bag seed we got, if any of it was any good, because we, we needed more seed every year. So we'd... You'd just like filial breed at most times, like just pop the bag seed and breed the brothers to the sisters or are you sort of outcrossing it to different stuff? With whatever we had at the time, yeah. And um, just a bit of, pardon the pun, but just potluck, what we came up with. Yeah. You know what? This would be perfect because I was talking to a friend the other day because he had just recently started taking clones of like everything. And I was like, this is the way to do it, man. Like it's, it's annoying and it takes space, but trust me, it's good to have the clone of it. And I was sort of saying to him, you know, think of all these legendary clones throughout history, you know, whatever, you know, Chemdog, OG Kush, whatever you want to think of. And, uh, and I'd always say, think about how many chem dogs have existed throughout history, but we're just never cloned or we're just, you know, haphazardly made through sort of, you know, breeding one thing to another. And like, I guess what I'm sort of getting is, are there any plants you remember from your, like, you know, from the history where you're like, man, I, I remember this one plant we grew. It was so special. And like, you know, we didn't keep a clone, but like it, if, if I had it, it would stand up to modern elites. Like, Oh yeah. There was a few of them. I had some pretty cool African stuff from that seed that girl sent me. Uh, some of them were, one was that it smelled so disgusting uh, that I actually, I killed it. And, <laughs> I couldn't even give it away. It was that disgusting. It smelled like uh, stink bug. You know stink bugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even give it away. So I thought I'd uh, – I just chucked it in a box and threw it on top of the cupboard. And I thought one day when we're out of weed, we might want to smoke that. And uh, months down the track, we got it out. And it was actually quite good. The smell had dissipated. And <laughs> I, I gave some to the guy that 
I'd, I'd offered it to him for nothing and he wouldn't take it. And he, <laughs> he, he came back later and anyway, he said it was some of the best weed he, he'd had, he said to me. And uh, he, uh, I said, so you could have had the whole lot for nothing, but you wouldn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm gonna keep it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's that's brilliant. That's that's cool to hear. Yeah, I like that. I remember because a lot of people might hear that and think, "How could you like consider giving it away? It's still weed or whatever." But it's like I remember one time I was at Bodie's house and he's like, "Oh, smell this. It's called ass." I'm like, I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, it's like American skunk selection, but like smell it. And it proper smelled like an asshole. And I had some in this bong and I'm going to smoke it. And like, I'm like hesitantly bringing, and I'm like, am I about to like vomit? Like, because if this tastes like it smells, I'm going to vomit. And thank fuck it didn't translate the <laughs> smell at all. <laughs> but I can only imagine what you went through. It would have been fun. Definitely not licking your lips type of stuff, eh? <laughs> that's it that's it right okay well um i guess sort of at the point when the duck's foot that you said you know you felt like you'd lost some traits but it was sort of going out to market i think a lot of people still really viewed that as like a really worthwhile tool people were still looking for that seed stock did you have any idea at the time that it was going to go on to become this sort of legendary stock that like people are hunting for like you know wild right now? No, but um, so I see a few people still sell it. Uh, I've I've seen it around. I see it on um, some um, some Facebook uh, pages and that sort of thing. So it's definitely still out there. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what I think is really interesting is like people are really looking for it. Like it's sort of funny because it'll it'll tie into when we talk about some of your strains later on with like the MBS and stuff. But I feel like there's a similarity between your duck's foot and a lot of Tom Hill's lines. It's like it's these old lines that people are really hunting for now because they're like they recognize the value some of these older lines have just inherently within them. But I guess you're sort of saying at the time you weren't really aware it was going to have this ripple effect it did no like i said i was just trying to save the stuff because i, I just thought there was some importance with that leaf and um it might be useful to people you know trying to hide their their plants and stuff like that so uh and i'm sure it probably helped a few a few people probably grew stuff where they weren't able to before except for that stench <laughs> yeah 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 right the camouflage aspect's undeniable. Yeah. Take me a little bit forward now. I mean, maybe it was happening at the time. How did you first meet Moon Unit and what sort of got you first thinking about the idea of, you know, the Wizards of Oz? I was just on the forums on um, IC Mag and he posted some stuff. Uh, Zoid Fuel, I'm pretty sure it was. Is, is Zoid Fuel, you hear, you've heard of Zoid Fuel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I contacted him and... Um, with him being an Aussie, you know, I wanted to know more about it. It looked awesome. And um, so I, I got some seed out off of him and I, I grew some. It was amazing stuff. I can't believe that uh, just a, an average Aussie guy could make something so good out of a few land races. That was an excellent effort. Yeah. Not many of the people that breed cannabis actually do that, you know what I mean? They always start with someone else's stuff, whereas he made it himself. So... Yeah, and with uh, non-European or American genetics. Yeah, it's just like uh, Aussie bushweed, 
PNG Gold and um, some of that uh, Chinese Indica stuff. So, uh, Incredible stuff. Okay, and so I guess you guys just sort of hit it off from there? Yeah, and so, well, we, we decided we'd try and make a few things that people might like, and uh, he did it all, and it wasn't me. I just sent him some seeds and spoke with him on the phone and that sort of thing. So <clears throat> it was more his work than mine, you know. Oh, uh, look, I feel like you know you, you contributed pretty well so that's that's great to hear and um and and how do you how did you feel about it all you know when you're releasing the seeds do you, were you sort of thinking like it's going pretty well maybe we should keep doing this or like how, yeah what was your thoughts at the time oh we were pretty excited we had a few dramas though that the mbs that had hermes in it and we weren't able to shake them and um was lovely stuff though we we gave it some medicinal patients back then because even though medicinal cannabis wasn't a big thing then, it was starting to take off. And um, it gave you the munchies severely. So uh, this, this guy, he was, he was dying of AIDS apparently and uh, he'd lost the will to live. He wasn't eating anymore. You know, he was down to like 90 pounds or something like that. And um, one of the guys that we gave the stuff to, he, uh, he gave him some MBS and he, he reported he, he put on like 30 pounds in two weeks. And, um, and he, like eight, ten years later, he was still alive. He was, it, he reckons it saved his life that, that week. Hey, I, I believe you. Mm. That, that's incredible. That, and I mean, you know, without, excuse me, um, you know, without trying to get too sentimental, like, gosh, that must make you feel like it's all sort of worth it, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, like I said, medicinal weed was new. I, I just thought that was a bit fanciful. Uh, medicinal weed it was just a way for our stoners to you know what i mean to legitimize what we were doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i get what you mean yeah and and that's the thing what you sort of just touched on is a concept that i actually uh first heard from uh our buddy todd um and he i don't know if he coined the term but i sort of looked into it afterwards and he he said this term hippie guilt and it's like what you just touched on, like this guilt we feel around the fact that like we just like this plant and we, you know, as you said, you know, like we give it the name medicinal to sort of try to legitimize what we're doing. And it's like the reason why we do that is because we inherently feel a bit guilty because we're made to feel that what we're doing is bad. And thus, or if we can say it's medicinal, well, now it's actually good. It's interesting. Did you ever feel like that? Did you ever feel like, because I certainly feel that way at times, like as in like, on the one hand, I know that clearly what I'm doing is fine. It's a plant. The laws are wrong. They don't determine what's right or wrong ethically. And I know that growing a plant is not inherently wrong. But at the same time, you do feel a bit bad because there's like this stigma in society and culturally it's not as accepted as we might like how have you wrestled that sort of dynamic of you know being essentially a real famous guy in a scene that you can't tell any of your friends about for the most part oh no i've, I've felt the same thing but I, I tell you what i read something recently or heard someone say that um all cannabis use is medicinal and when i thought about that i thought well yeah it is even if we just you know lifting your spirits do you know what i mean that like like i said my mother was doing you know that that's medicinal. And so we're all using it for a medicinal reason. Uh, and like I said, when I stopped smoking, the, the realisation that I, I had been using it medicinally for a whole bunch of things that I, I didn't even know I had. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. All cannabis use is medicinal in my opinion too. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, I I tend to agree. You know, like um, I think it's somewhat vogue for people to have reasons for why they're using cannabis. And like yourself, at a certain point, I just tried to move away from that. And it's like, I'm not going to say I'm using it for X condition or Y condition. I'm just going to say I'm using it. It's just improving my quality of life. And that's all that needs to be said, really. Yeah, I, I agree 100%, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So just to jump back onto the topic, you know, you're talking about some of the work you did with Moon Unit and the MBS and stuff. How how did those strains get received domestically? Did you feel like you were getting any traction within the Aussie community at all or it was mostly going to overseas people? Oh, there was never really an official release of the seeds. We generally just shared them, to be honest. So, um, And I do recall uh, some, some American people came down to the Mardi Gras and someone shared it with them there and they, they, they reported it to be pretty well. They, they liked it. They, so it was well received, uh, and we smoked a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's always a, a good testament. So, I mean, was there like a, a somewhat active Australian scene, or did you really feel like it was just the two of you out on an island doing your own thing, like no one else was really on the same level, so to speak? No, we we even I went to a Sydney Cannabis Cup at one point. Uh, there was. I think it was two years in a row. Um, so I went to one of them. This red-headed guy, he was a crazy guy. And um, when I went to first visit him, was uh, on, our, on our way to the Mardi Gras. And um, <clears throat> so the, the go was to, to visit him and, and we we're all going to hook up and then, then we go to the Mardi Gras from there. And he wanted to enter a whole bunch of his stuff. He grew in this factory. And um, I, I'd not long been busted. And so I was a little bit cautious. I didn't know that I was heading there to go and spend two nights in a cannabis factory. <laughs> but that's, that's what I did, yeah. And um, he didn't end up going. We went to the, me and his friend uh, Rodwell went to the, uh, the Mardi Gras on our own. And um, we entered his stuff. I entered some hash. Uh, there wasn't a... Uh, a, a section for hash and um, I'm not sure, they, they said it spoiled it for them, some of the people, because they smoked the hash and then the rest of the weed didn't do anything for them, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care if we won or not, that wasn't the, you know, it was just about entering you know what I mean? That, that's what that Marty is about, it's, it's a celebration of cannabis, it's not to be taken seriously, oh we won you know, that, that's not what it's about yeah it was actually it was a really great weekend. It was we had a great time. Cool. And like, did you did you bump into any other growers while you're in Nimbin, for example? Oh, I'm sure I did. It was it's a bit of a blur though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So I guess sort of the picture I'm getting is that like it wasn't like you bumped into another Wally Duck equivalent where you're like, oh, hey, you you're like sort of doing your own thing in the way that we are. No, I did meet on the second time. Um, I told um, a couple of American guys about it, and one of them met me there. He was like, uh, he ended up being the um, uh, one of the IC uh, tech guys. Uh, you know, he did the forums, and um, they thought it was great. They ended up coming and staying in Australia for at least six months. 
because it was a bit of an eye-opener for them. They thought we had a great kind of lifestyle, a good outlook on life and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Any of our uh, American listeners who are wondering if life in Australia would be good, the answer is yes. I've I've invited heaps of people and and they've all really enjoyed it and um, some of them uh, particularly a a Finnish guy said it it spoiled them forever they want to come back and (laughs) they're not satisfied living in Finland anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah look I can't comment on Finland but I can definitely say as much as I enjoy spending time in the States I'm I'm always very happy when I touch back down on Australian soil. I feel like when I see the Australian native plants, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm home. I feel good. Um, So moving the story along, you know, was there a definitive moment where sort of you and Moon Unit sort of split ways or was it just sort of like a slow fizzle and you both just sort of went your different pathways in life? How did that progress? Oh, we kept in touch, but he got busted and... um I haven't spoken. Oh, I think might have spoken to him after that, but I can't. I don't know what happened. And I've got a phone number for him somewhere. I keep meaning to try it to see what he's doing, whether it works or not. I don't know. But um, he's he's in New South Wales, so I gather that being busted there wasn't very good for him. Uh, don't know whether he went to jail or or what happened. But um, and uh, so yeah, that was basically the end of that. I'd like to get in touch with him again. He's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, not that I've looked particularly hard, but I, I guess it's probably safe to assume he dropped off after that for just obvious legal reasons. Yeah, him him, and, and Kang, Kangativa. Uh, I, I think sometimes um, you lose interest after you get in that much trouble, you know what I mean? And you, you figure you, you better put your energy in another direction. And I think that's possibly what both those guys have done. I still speak to Kanga a little bit, and um, I think he's lost interest in weed after being in jail for a couple of years. It really tainted it for him. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I mean, while we're on the topic of Kanga, like I'm guessing you were around when he was pretty active and during the time when he was busted? Yes. Yeah, we were going to do a collaboration together. But, um, yeah, that quickly ended yeah wow and i mean um did you have any thoughts because you know there's a lot of rumors around the kanga bust and people link it to gypsy nirvana and various other people did you have any thoughts on how that went down or you just think it was probably just you know like a loose lips sort of thing oh i think someone found their plants i think that's what happened i don't know how but uh that's what i seem to recall i I don't think he thinks anyone dodged him in either i think it was just luck of the draw yeah bad luck yeah sure sure i mean while we're on the topic of kanga you know the the strain that always gets referenced is the the malambimbi madness i i feel like it's one of those strains where it's just got you know so much mythology attributed to it and it's just so hard to find verifiable information about it what are your thoughts on Mullumbimbi Madness? Did you ever try it? Do you think it is as good as people sometimes make it out to be? Where do you stand? I, I heard about that stuff when I was like 15 and uh, a guy was, a brother-in-law's friend was heading up north from where we were, we were in Melbourne, to get some. I gave him $100, said, yeah, get me some. And $100 for me when I was 15 was a fair bit of money. <laughs> yeah. he, never, he didn't come back. 
<laughs> it must have been pretty good weed. But uh, <laughs> everyone seems to think that everything from Mullumbimby ended up being called or, or NIMB in the area ended being called that. Do you know what I mean? And uh, would the plea, would the real uh, Mullumbimby madness please stand up sort of scenario? Yeah. <laughs> I had heard that as well, and the story made sense, right? Like, as soon as the name came out, every dealer in Mullum's calling their weed Mullum Bimby Madness. I guess um, from what you saw of what Kanga was doing, you must have sort of thought, oh, well, I, I guess given how much he's messing with it, like, it must be pretty all right. Yeah, all right. and he sent some to Neville, and Neville said to him that it was as good as the haze he had had, so I gather it was pretty good gear. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't smoke any of Kanga's pot, but um, it seemed to have a pretty good reputation. Yeah, look, I'm sure it was just you know killer outdoor sativa, like largely like what you were probably growing for the most part. It's probably, and that's the other thing I try to remind myself is like you hear all these stories, but back in the day, like good weed was hard to find. So people probably remember things like you know really well as like yo, that was the best weed I had in forever, like sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with um, that nostalgia thing. People say that a lot of a lot of the weed we were getting was shit, and then suddenly we'd have something good, and it would waste us. You know what I mean? Because our tolerance was down. We hadn't had anything good for a while, and um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, while we're on the topic of Mullum Madness. I've always wondered myself, and maybe you can chime in to some degree, maybe not, all good if you can't. Do you think Mullumbimby Madness is different to Old Mother Sativa? Because I feel like as much as people maybe try to talk about them as different, they they maybe are just the same. I I don't know to comment on that, really. I've seen both of them, and they're obviously both satirals, but uh, relationship, I I don't know. There there seems to be... uh, Rumours that Mullumbimby was Thai crossed with Colombian. but um, mm, I'd heard that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I definitely heard that. And I thought, because that's also one of the rumoured genetic combinations of uh, Cali Mist. And so yeah. I was like, well, that would make sense because that was meant to be a really good sativa. So, like, it, it would make sense a similar genetic combination could make a good good sativa but uh interesting interesting stuff um and i i don't know if you know the answer to this but when we were talking about the zoid fuel and um the aussie bushweed was that like old mother sativa or like a different aussie bushweed oh it was just sativa as far as i know there was a fair bit of that around moon seemed to think that it was uh a bit it was must have been strong because he said it was a bit paranoid in inducing you know a bit scary and he said that's that's what he liked about uh, the Chinese indica that he added to it because he said that was like anti-anxiety sort of stuff, and uh, it leveled it leveled the high out a lot. And, and I, I I tend to agree that uh, zoid fuel was real, uh, you know, feel good weed, and uh, you know gave you that nice uh, buzzing in the head. Actually, I would rate it similar to um, MDMA. Actually, it was similar to that. Yeah. yeah, like so really psychoactive. Mm, and um, I don't know, just a buzz in the head and a euphoria, you know. Uh, I'd say it was quite similar to that sort of stuff. 
Wow, that's a testament to the power of the old world strains, right? Mm, absolutely, they were strong. You know, people say, and unless you unless you were smoking with stuff that was scary and paranoid, it wasn't that strong. Oh, I I disagree. <laughs> it can still be fun, you know, and happy and uplifting, and be very very strong, you know. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Okay, um, and in terms of like the Z99 cross you guys made with um, your C99. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Did you just send the seeds over to Moon Unit? How'd that one go down? Yeah, I sent uh, some, I was F5, C99, I think, something like that. And um, and then he just, uh, he sent me back samples of different females that he'd used. And um, we must have had a similar taste in weed because we both selected the same one without talking to one another. Yeah. Uh, it actually, uh, it was similar to the Zoid fuel. It must have taken traits from that because it had that nice little buzzing sort of in your head type of high. And um, we, we still grow it. I've still got Z99. Uh, we still grow that stuff. You read my mind because the next question was a question from one of the listeners who said, uh, please pass on my thanks to Wally. Huge fan of his work. He sent me some Z99 to test out years ago. And i got to be honest, I did a pretty pitiful job of doing it outdoors at the time. But I'm really curious to know if he has any more. Maybe I can do a better job this time around. Sure, yeah. We, I have a bunch of Z99 seeds. And um, I, I still make seeds because there's still a... People are still growing cannabis out there. So... <laughs> Well, we got to we got to use this opportunity now. If anyone was interested in getting some of your seeds, what's what's the best avenue for them to make contact? Well, I haven't really sold any. I'm I'm that guy that has trouble receiving funds, and that was my always my problem. You know, I don't know how, but um, and I did was going to do a collaboration with another Aussie guy recently, uh, Mr. Dots, and um, he had the same trouble. How was he going to receive the funds without? disclosing his address or do you know what I mean? That sort of thing. So, um, Interesting stuff, interesting stuff. Maybe I'll put you in touch with uh, some friends of mine who, who run a, a seed bank in Australia. They might be able to help you out. There you go. <laughs> there you go. This chat just became worthwhile. <laughs> uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So um, in terms of your seeds, would you largely say that you know, knowingly or unknowingly, they're sort of bred for Aussie conditions? Because I know that, like, you know, being Queensland native myself, a lot of strains really struggle with the heat, you know? Do you think these might be good candidates for people in those environments where, like, heat is a factor? Yeah, sure. We're, we're definitely testing that out by just growing them here ourselves. That's largely why we make them for our local friends to grow um, because, you know, there's never enough good weed around, is there? So... And we've got a great climate. And when I didn't have any weed, I'd, I'd, want, I'd want to go and find some. And it was always just shit. So uh, I thought, well, if I could make enough seed to share with the locals, uh, then when I run out of weed, there's going to be something decent to you know, around, I, with any luck anyway. So um, that's what I've been doing. And it's, I, I get a lot of people visit me these days for that very thing. And um, we, you know... I, I do benefit from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great to hear. That's great to hear. You know what? It's so funny you mentioned that because I always said that was uh, 
that was my initial motivation for making seeds as well was I just thought if there ever came a time where I wasn't able to grow for myself I just want to be able to know that I could buy some decent quality off someone and uh, I think I think it does sort of help you get there you know absolutely it's it's definitely a foot in the door if you had shared some seeds with someone and they've grown some good stuff the chances of you being able to acquire some off them is pretty good isn't it yeah that's it it's like a business proposition i love it <laughs> okay and out of curiosity uh you know because I, I i think that instagram and the internet in general has done a lot for the cannabis community undoubtedly and it feels like in australia there's a newly emerging sort of scene that's a bit more how shall you say online not just in like the internet sense but as in like we're coming online we're all linking up like we're all nodes in a network and we're linking with each other and i feel like there is slowly beginning to uh, emerge uh, a clone sharing scene and i don't think it's really there just yet but i think in the next few years we'll really see it come to fruition where you know, because often people come on the show and they say, oh, you know, wh- like what's, you know, UK has cheese. What does Australia have? And I'm like, oh, there isn't really a one thing that Australia has that gets passed around per se. But I feel like in time that might happen as clones get traded. Have you noticed the development of like a sort of cannabis scene or a clone sharing scene per se? Um, I hope that's beginning. I've got to say we're probably like the last cab off the rank using the internet for these sorts of things. A lot of Aussies are very paranoid people and, and they're shy away from technology. You know, I, I've got friends that don't even have phones and half of them don't know how to use them and they've never dared to go on a cannabis site, you know. <laughs> it's a bit funny given, you know, people like you and I and, you know, we're out there on there and, nothing much happens to us and in fact it increases our knowledge and our network basing and friends and do you know what i mean it's been beneficial and these guys are missing out on that you know <laughs> yeah 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 hugely hugely i've I, the amount of messages i've had over the years from people who are like oh you know i want to grow but i don't want to get busted but i was sort of thinking if they were going to be busting someone like they'd probably go for like a big fish uh, what's your secrets to not being busted? And I was just like, oh, just like don't sell hard drugs or like associate with people who do hard drugs. That's sort of my only rule. It's like if you do or sell hard drugs, I probably won't really want to hang out with you. And that's always kept me really safe, you know, because I pretty much just hang around with other growers. Now that's a good rule. <laughs> yeah, right. While we're on the topic, what's your thoughts on the, the Australian legal climate? You know, obviously in the past few years, we've seen the ACT legalize two plants per person per household uh, with an upper limit of six plants per household. So, you know, three people pulling their plants together. Do you feel like that's a step in the right direction or are you uh, sort of thinking like, oh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a Band-Aid for a bullet wound. What can you do with two plants? Yeah, it might be a start. You know, they, they're not allowed to possess seeds though. Seeds are still illegal for them. They can have two plants, but where are they going to get the seeds? That's a very good question. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so I got an uncle who lives in Canberra, and uh, and it was when I was talking to him, he sort of painted how logistically challenging it is because I was like, oh, you know, I'll send you down this sick clone I've got. And he's like, oh, nah. And I'm like, why? It's like it's definitely better than whatever you got. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, but, like, then I can't keep a clone of the current one I'm running. Like, I can flower one out and keep one clone, and that's, like, that's all I can do. And so I realized very quickly, I was like, you can't, like, you can't grow anything new because if you even pop one new seed, you can't keep a clone of the other thing you were running, and then so that's gone. And, like, it, it, it really does paint you in a corner, doesn't it? Yeah, if you're law-abiding like that guy, I've never really been like that. So. Oh, look, I, I only ever abide the law myself. <laughs> no, I think I think uh, I think that I'm um, maybe a, a couple of plants over the count at the moment. <laughs> um, so, I guess the question then needs to be asked. What to you would be an acceptable medical system? I know that in an ideal world, you know, we can grow as many plants as we want and we can go nuts and have fun. What do you think would be like a realistic proposition that you would be able to get on board with while also recognizing like, you know, like they're not going to give us infinite plants? Like what's a happy medium in your opinion? Oh, just... What they did in Thailand recently is a bit of an example of what they, you know, six plants you can grow at home, treat yourself, you know. I think Australia's crazy where um, only the doctor's allowed to give you medicine because you have no idea because you're an idiot, you know. You have an idea. It's your body. You should be able to whack in it what you, as long as it's not harming you, you know what I mean? And um, a bit of home remedy sort of stuff. Why not? What's wrong with that? You, shouldn't, you don't have to pay anyone to do that. Why should we have to go to a doctor and get a bloody script to get stuff do you know what i mean when we know we've studied it we know what's wrong we know how to treat it we know where to get the stuff why can't we i I, that's what i'd like to be able to see people doing you know what i mean they're not idiots they they know what's good for them a lot of people you know Uh, that's the sort of thing i'd like to see i'm worried that um to be honest with legality here that we could end up in a situation where growing a few plants is worse than it is now you know, because that could happen. It's a real, real issue where, you know, the government's mates are all making money selling pot, but you can't even grow a few yourself because you're in bloody big trouble, you know? Yeah, I remembered when they legalised those two plants in ACT, I I said to my buddies, I said, you watch, they're going to come out now and say, now that we've legalised it, anyone who's genuinely needing cannabis will do that, and anyone who grows more than that is a dirty criminal. Exactly, exactly. You know, you can't grow tobacco, obviously, because that's really frowned upon. And um, possession of large amounts of tobacco, that, that's a federal offence. You're in big trouble. You're in worse trouble than if they found you with a pound of weed, you know. Yeah. And that's what I'm worried about, what might happen with weed in the future. If you, Let's say you want to grow for everybody else, but you don't have a licence and you get caught doing it, then uh, you're in deep shit, you know. Yeah, look, it would be it would be super concerning if that happened, didn't it? Especially because yeah, Australia's got such a hard on for like tightly regulated pharmaceutical dispensing. Like, I mean, on the one hand, it's good I think that Australia has that grip on the pharmaceutical dispensing because it stops pharmaceutical industries from like bribing doctors and stuff like that. But on the other hand, it's it right, gives that point you said where it's like there's so many checks and hurdles that you, like you have to go to a doctor to grow a plant that you know is safe. Yeah, we're so tight with some things. I understand that they want to do things properly, but when the rest of the world's done 350 studies and they've come up with something and then we've got to, you know, we've got to do exactly the same study and we come up with the same thing, it's 
bit ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I wish we could go back to like back in California when they had the two fifteen days. Like, I think that model is the dream, but I'm, I'm sadly I'm not convinced it'll ever happen in Australia. But like, yeah, where people can just like grow at their house and go to a dispensary and sell their product to a dispensary, and then like like what medical was for the longest time in sort of California, that would be the dream. But um, but yeah, who knows whether it'll actually happen and um. I mean, on on the tail end of the legality side, you, you mentioned earlier you you got busted. Is is there any chance you'd be willing to tell us a little bit about what happened or what sort of punishment you faced? I, I broke that rule that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> I associated with people that were doing. Some, I didn't know that's what they were doing, but um, that's that led to me getting busted, and um, twice quite a lot. Quite large amounts both times, and um, I'm I'm still in trouble. <laughs> so even, even as far as like um, legal growing and that went, I, I I probably wouldn't be able to do that for quite a while yet. I think they shut us down for quite a while, at least five years, maybe I might be ten years. I don't I don't know, but uh, I mentioned that to someone the other day who's got some legal stuff going on down south and said that. Uh, I probably wouldn't be even allowed into one of those facilities. And he said, well, they're not guard, they're not carting you on the way through the door. There's no one checking your ID or anything. Absolutely, you can go in. <laughs> go have a look around. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be a, a candidate to grow legally for quite some time. Yeah, look, I was thinking about it myself when you mentioned that to me, and I thought... Maybe in the future it'll become more possible. I, I've I've interacted with a few of the legal growers in Australia, and I know that the majority of them are being operated by people with virtually zero cannabis experience, but just have been able to get the financial backing. And so, uh, and and a lot of those companies are producing very lackluster results that even they themselves are acknowledging is like not good. And so, I think maybe in a few years, once they've lost enough money. They'll be like, maybe we should get someone in here who can actually grow weed. Yeah, you want you you'd think they would eventually come to that conclusion, you know? It, it's frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, look, I, and I, I'm talking about this for you, you know. Like, I'm I'm hoping that you get a call because um, it would be a shame for your talents to go to waste, like in that respect. Yeah, I I definitely do it, but there'd want to be some reasonable money in it though. <laughs> well, they make pretty good money. You've seen the price of medicinal weed, hey? Oh, God. I remember when it first came out and it was like 900 an ounce from the pharmacies. I think now you can get reasonably good quality for about 500 an ounce from the pharmacy, but you're sort of like, for a legal system, I was hoping the price point might have... <laughs> Especially since you can go down the road and get something better, cheaper, uh, black market. Yeah. That's it. Okay, so the next question I had for you, and this was something I was really interested to ask you, was I'm always asking myself, more than anything, I would like to be regarded as someone who helped progress the Australian scene in some form or another. And so I thought I should ask you that exact question. What to you do you think is the most impactful thing the average person can do to help progress the scene? Do you think that maybe, for example, it's like, getting online and networking and just like just trying to like you know like build that network or do you think like for example for a long time i've always told people 
just keep pheno hunting. Trust me. Like when you pheno hunt, you find new special plants and it makes the scene interesting. Like what do you think is the best thing someone can do? Oh, that that's not easy. Everyone's got different skills, don't they? So they've got different stuff to give. Some people are way better at talking than others. Some people are just gardeners and they want to be left alone. Whatever they're good at, I guess. Uh, that's a, that's a good answer. That's 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 actually a lot more, uh, you know, wide spectrum than I expected, and that's really good. So I guess maybe I can make it a bit more specific. For you, what do you think is the most impactful thing you did for the scene? Oh, just become involved, I think, <laughs> mainly. Yeah, I've, I've shared a lot of seeds and um, uh, connected people together, that sort of thing. All, all that helps, you know. Definitely, 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 definitely. And I mean, as a curiosity, what's your thoughts on pheno hunting? Are you the sort of person who's like always keen to crack some new seeds or are you pretty content just running from clone? Where do you sit? Oh, I think it's exciting cracking new stuff all the time, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is spice of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's an interesting one because it then goes next into this conversation of like some people don't like the fact I say this, but in Australia at least, I always say that I recommend people have a day job and don't grow for a living because I feel like whenever I meet someone who's like, oh, you know, I would really love to grow something new, but I've got this strain I grow and I have to yield 4P in order to pay the bills and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, oh, you've sort of backed yourself into a corner with your hobby because it's no longer your hobby. It's now paying your bills and thus you don't have that freedom to maybe pop some Zoid fuel or something new that maybe doesn't quite yield as much, but in the long term could be like really cool. And um, I've always felt like that's been a good bit of advice because the people I know who do really good pheno hunting and really have fun with cannabis it's it doesn't pay their bills for the most part like maybe it gives them a bit of pocket money but like it's not the primary income source what's your thoughts on that sentiment feel free to totally shoot it down if you don't agree <laughs> no maybe we need some guy that just does that you know and he gets some some money out of it everyone pays him for his uh you know his success his additions to to everything because he's doing a job too so he's looking for something for all these guys that are doing you know the big jobs and um, he should be included as well. Maybe that's another job, you know, like being a uh, paying breeders to find us better stuff, stuff like that. So there's the the pheno hunter guy, and uh, he should do well too. Yeah, yeah. I actually I say that to people all the time. I say, look, just for simple numbers, if you grow a crop and you make ten thousand dollars off it. And I pop new seeds and because I'm like pheno hunting and some of the phenos are shit and don't yield much, like maybe I only get like $5,000 worth of crop, but I get a few new plants that are special. Like, could you not make the argument that whatever plants I found are sort of worth 5000 Like that was the opportunity cost for me to find those plants was like foregoing that crop. And a lot of people get really uptight when they hear that because they're like, oh, you're implying that a clone's worth five grand. And I don't know if I'm saying a clone's worth five grand per se, but I'm definitely saying in that theoretical situation, someone foregoed a bunch of yield to find that new plant, which maybe wasn't optimized in the setup. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts about that? Can't he get a percentage of what the guys that are growing it 
they're making, you know, 5% or something. They could, you know, cut him in on the deal. Yeah, that seems like a reasonable sort of like middle ground, right? I do that with the guys with seed. We have an arrangement. You know, some like to pay straight up front. Some like to give a percentage of what they get or whatever. And uh, it works as long as we're all getting something and we're all happy. That guy should be cut in as well. Yeah, that's actually a, a really sort of uh, even-keeled middle ground. I like that. I like that. I hadn't hadn't thought about that too much. But, yeah, that would be good. And I guess it inherently sort of promotes, like, unity and, uh, like, collaboration just by virtue of how you're doing the transaction. Exactly. We're all working together toward, you know, the guy at the end who's smoking his stuff saying, wow, I'm glad they chose this one. But then that goes back to your pheno hunter, mate, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And and you know what you've said is really true, you know. I've been thinking about this a lot recently and I've I've decided to give out some of my closer guarded clones because I thought it's all well and good for me to think this is the best shit on earth, but if I'm only cropping a couple of ounces of it every few months, like who's ever going to get to taste it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm all about that too. I I we got some cuttings years ago from overseas, which we never thought was possible, and um at first, I thought we should guard them tightly. Do you know what I mean? But uh, eventually, I thought, well, I, I, I'm going to lose them, like I like I thought with the the duck's foot. I'm going to lose this if I do do that. If I share and let other people reap the rewards, the benefits, or whatever, then when when I lose mine, which I will, I can get it back off somebody, and um, that's exactly what happened. And um, that way, we might. I managed to keep one, I think it must have been at least six years ago that we got those cuttings. And uh, the one I got, it's still running and everyone's really happy and I can get it any time, do you know what I mean? Uh, It'd be pretty selfish just to keep it to yourself. No, no, I've got it and you can't have it. You know, cannabis is supposed to be about sharing as far as I remember when I first started. Uh, Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, I feel like I'm... I'm slowly treading the same path you did years ago. So that's that's cool to hear. I'd be interested to hear, what's your thoughts on the uh, Australian cannabis scene in general? I'm not sure if you're on Instagram much, but I guess from sort of what you see on the forums, I would largely describe the Australian cannabis scene as quite similar to the American in terms of like the trends, you know, like OG and cookies and all that is, you know, sort of popular over here nowadays with the younger growers. What's your thoughts on the scene from what you see? Yeah, I've seen that too. I, I, I not long got on Instagram. It took me a minute to work out how to use the darn thing, though. <laughs> it wasn't like Facebook where you join a group and there it all is, you know. But, um, yeah, they're like a bunch of kids with new toys, aren't they? I, I've noted at the moment they're all trying those new things and, you know, I've, I've got Bruce Banner or I've got cookies or and um, I, I think it's, it's cool to see. But um, I'd like to see more of them growing some stuff from, like, ace seeds, for instance. Uh, those sativas that those guys bring out, they're awesome. I love that sort of stuff. I'm so glad there's someone doing that, that there's a market that they can, you know, make some money out of and, and produce stuff like that. Hell, yeah. I remember when I spoke to him, he he sold me, Lewis, uh, he sold me on the Cali China. I was like, oh, send me some now. <laughs> Yeah, I like that with a few of those. I did grow some crosses a guy made 
with some of their stuff. And uh, oh, it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, it's, it's great to see that on. And, and that there's enough people around, you know, growing that sort of stuff that uh, it, it's, it's becoming more popular, it even seems. Yeah, hugely. I, I feel like Hayes, you know, someone said it the other day and it made sense. Like they said, whether it's related or not, seems like since Neville's passing, the, the demand for Hayes is, definitely feels more apparent. Yeah, yeah, there's been a re-emergence lately, hasn't there? I, I, I think there's a lot of discussion on the forums where I go about it. Some of it's a little bit heated, mind you, but... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, when you talk to Australians about... Well, you know what? I'm going to actually rephrase this. When you talk to internationals about Australian weed, a lot of them talk about, you know, uh, Nimbin, the Emerald Triangle... Do you think of far no- do you think of far northern rivers New South Wales as the Emerald Triangle of Australia or do you feel like there's actually a lot of other areas that produce a lot and just don't really have the namesake and I guess I will add the caveat that you know I haven't been to Nimbin in a number of years but whenever I do go there I'm largely unimpressed um, slash disappointed you know where where do you stand on it and do you think Nimbin gets hyped yeah I do I, I agree with you I I was pretty disappointed with the stuff they had. They need some more input, more more seed, you know, better stuff. They've got a not bad climate there. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure they got a name for a reason initially, but, yeah, I think those days are gone and they really need to step up a bit. And, uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, up here where I live was pretty famous for the best weed in Australia. Uh, North Queensland Heads, everyone loved them. It, you, if you had a bag of that, you'd sell out in minutes sort of thing, you know. It was pretty popular stuff and um, strong, you know. But I, I think because of the uh, lack of imports, you know, when the import market died and no one could make any decent seed, they couldn't inbreed it well or whatever happened, they, um, the market kind of collapsed a bit. And uh, they end up with a whole bunch of hemp, it seemed like. And maybe that's what's going on down in Nimbin too. They need new input, you know. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. And uh, I definitely agree. They need some new seed there. Uh, it's pretty stagnant. Yeah. Yeah, we used to have some friends around here locally that um, they grew some stuff from India. And uh, it was kind of like brown buds. It wasn't brown from being ruined. It was just brown. And... Um, I ran around there and they smoked out of a big chillum. It was bloody awesome, actually. He put a lot of weed in that chillum. Must have been like seven grams or something in there. Wow. It's like a ball of fire came out of the top of that thing when you puffed on it. It was huge. And uh, I was sitting on a chair. I had to go and sit on the, against the wall because I felt like I was going to fall off my chair. I was that smashed, you know. <laughs> and I asked them about uh, seed and they said they had to go back to India every year. Uh, because they tried making their own and they failed every time. They said they couldn't do it and it was just better to go back to the source. And uh, I guess uh, inbreeding some of those things, just unless you're knowledgeable or whatever, or you've got enough plants or it just doesn't seem to work very well. A lot of it's not for a lot of people, I guess. Yeah, certainly. 
I think uh, we might move on to some of the fan-submitted questions at this point. So, uh, from a fellow Aussie bin chicken, he asks, uh, for the Z99, would you consider giving it a modern twist in like a sort of a hybrid, reformed, or would you just want to bring it back as you have it now? I, I did. I did recreate it, and I also gave it a modern twist and crossed it with... Uh, East Coast Sour Diesel, so Sour Z99. And um, that was pretty well received by the guys that have grown it. Yeah, killer. That's like you were ahead of the game on that one. Oh, yeah, I knew you haven't. I knew that question was coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's like that's the perfect cross as well. Like Sour to the Z99 is perfect. <clears throat> yeah, I, I did use that Sour a little bit. I, I had some Zamel too. You've heard of Zamel? Zamal, Zamel? Yeah, the mythical LSD effect. It was a pretty good pot. <clears throat> I really liked it, and um, so I, I and it's it had a really weird smell. It was kind of like tea tree oil, carroty tea tree oil, strong. Wow, so pretty robust sort of aroma. And uh, I did the same. I crossed it with sour diesel because why not use that thing when you've got it? A eh? and um, it was super potent. Uh, it was a, it was a great cross. I. I crossed it again, so I've got like a double sour Zamel, and um, I've had some guys send me pictures of these huge big colas they've grown with it, and so they're, they're reasonably happy too, it seems. Hell yeah, that's that's a good answer to that question. Um, so the next question we got was from my buddy Goody Garden, and he wanted to know, as far as you know, is there any difference between duck's foot and another strain that they call Mongi Madness? I thought Mongi was ABC. Maybe. I, I think I might have heard that term used as well. So may, maybe it is ABC. I think it's one of the guys. I think he said he originally was the guy that founded off some old people, I seem to recall reading. And he had, I think he did a bunch of crosses with it because I think he said it was, wasn't very potent. But I, I, I recall him saying he did up the potency. Whether that happened or not, I don't know. Uh, I, I wrote to him once because there seemed to be an interest in it and, and I wanted to get some to spread it around. But I, I think he was concerned with people making money out of something that he hadn't made anything out of or something. I, I wouldn't have done that. You know, I would have just given it away. But <clears throat> I can understand where he was at. But uh, why couldn't he just do it and make some money out of it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right like i, I remember mean gene you know a, a, a famous breeder who's been on the show said you know just like just get one or two steps of a project under your belt and then you can let it go and then if like your fear of someone trying to rush, rush to market happens you're already one or two steps ahead of them you know like so or, or do a deal with them over it talk to them and say look do you want to give us a little bit of something or another yeah, yeah. That's it. Collab's the way to go for sure. Okay, so the people next question. Sorry, go on. People sell duck's foot and I don't, you know, I don't have a foot in their door at all. I don't care. I actually gave that stuff away. I never even made any money out of it. But, uh, and I see people selling it, making money. Good on them, you know. They're, they're sharing something and they, they need something for the work they're doing. It puts, you know, food on their table, whatever. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But they could send me some money if they wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I love that. 
So the next question we got was from our Patreon listener, Felix. He says, it would be great to hear Wally talk a little bit about the Grail Haze. Yeah, let's start there. What's your thoughts on the Grail Haze? What was that? Was that something that Neville was doing with Kanga or? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what steps he ended up with. I, I think someone sells some of that, that seed still. Um, but, uh, and I'm sure it must be good. I, I tried some um, <clears throat> cross with, uh, was it Mullum cross with Thai? And there's a dispute over what tie it was, so I won't get into that. But uh, <laughs> it was pretty good. It did remind me a lot of tie. Uh, that golden tie that I mentioned earlier, uh, it reminded me of that. It was really nice. I liked it. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. I, I, I've seen that post you're referring to. I think yeah, it's its own kettle of fish, isn't it, with that tie? But um, that's interesting. Okay. So the follow-up part Felix asked was, what are your thoughts around why we're seeing the resurgence of interest in the long flowering sativas and, you know, the real trippy sort of weed? People are finally coming to their senses. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just so hard to grow for everyone before. Maybe I, I've seen some LED grows recently with sativas and I think they're getting a lot better. They're really starting to, you know, look a bit more like, like you'd see them in their in their home setting, and uh, it, it's pretty promising. I think maybe it's not far down the track, and they'll be able to get the same thing indoors that you can if you grew them in a tropical place. One 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 could only hope, hey? Yeah, sure, sure, and I I agree. Uh, as someone who's growing some sativas under some LEDs at the moment, they're they're actually doing a really good job. I. Uh, we're gonna to have to talk later about that. I wanna maybe we can we can do our own little collab. I got these these strains I'm running at the moment. They're called a Zazel, and uh, there's a lot of different genetics in there. It's made by a, a, a cool breeder called Always Be Flowering, but it basically one half of it is Ace Seeds genetics, Purple Haze. So it's Thai cross to the Purple Haze. I think yeah. that's the mother, and then the father is like. Uh, granddaddy perps chem dog so it's like new school meets old school but they're very sativa leaning and um I'll, I'll get you some photos but i'll also maybe we can talk about some seed stuff later but um we'll put that on the back burner for the moment the next question we got was someone who was wondering it's a great question do you still hold any of what you would consider your original c99 because they were sort of saying you know like there's so many different c99s on the market now be it Brothers Grimm C99, the new Brothers Grimm C99. There's like a, a Fast Buds C99. Like, you know, there's like a million C99s. Do you still have the one that you think is the original and what to you is the best one? No, that's that's long gone. That was so many years ago. But um, I did get offered some recently by a guy and <clears throat> I think it was original Brothers Grimm stuff, maybe, you know, down the track a few generations. But um, I would... I. I told him I'd take it because even though I thought that that stuff, uh, that stuff, the you built tolerance to it reasonably quickly, you know, um, it was still delicious pot. It was pretty nice, especially that pineapple, like we spoke about earlier. And um, but no, I don't, I don't have any C99, Z99, <laughs> no C99. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll, I'm going to have to send you some of the new C99 F2s because i got a bunch of them. Just, my friend made them for me. I was interested to know, what day would you harvest C99? Because what I found to be the most interesting thing about the whole C99 story was when I went to... I actually spent some time in Colorado and went to the Brothers Grimm facility and they were kind enough to let me come there for a bit. And the, the most interesting part about it all was Rick, Mr. Soul, said... Oh, you know, like we used to say, you know, day 49, day 49, um, and you could harvest it on day 49, but, you know, now that we understand how to grow weed a bit better, it's, it's probably like 58 to 62. When did you harvest C99? <clears throat> I was just thinking that as you were asking the question. Yeah, I, I think 60 days, but we used to harvest some at 49 days because it was ready enough, do you know? So yeah. <laughs> although the high was better if you waited a little bit longer yeah yeah and you know what it's funny you say that because that's exactly what mr soul said he said you know like the smell and the flavor and the effect was there at 49 but at 60 it was like stronger it lasted longer um so yeah more enjoyable it wasn't that you got a flavor at day 60 that wasn't there at 49 i think that's why people thought it was 49 but yeah just the effect the legs on it it's just way better yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of people pull stuff early. There's, down in Adelaide, they grow a lot of stuff and they pull it at eight weeks. And one guy said they uh, <clears throat> they made a mistake once and it went 10 weeks. It was so much better, you know, but they can't afford to wait 10 weeks. So they were still always pulling it. At eight. I think it was Jack Herra. Might have been Jack Herra. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, but they, they still didn't learn and then do 10 because two weeks is so valuable, they think. I, I, I'd make room for that extra two weeks. Be a bit more concerned about your consumers, I reckon. Yeah, right, right. I, I, and I, I think I said this to someone the other night on Instagram. I said, I can't really think of one plant I absolutely love that finishes quicker than nine weeks. No, some guy, one of the guys on the net said he wouldn't even smoke anything that flowered under 10 weeks. <laughs> I love it. Puritan. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Um, so the next question we got was, um, I would love to know about some of Wally's favorite pure sativas or just narrow leaf drug types in general, particularly within the Southeast Asian, you know, any specific ties or um, I'll just sort of let you answer that so far. So yeah, like pure sativas, what, what's up there for you in terms of what you rate as high quality? Oh, I like most of them, to be honest. I don't know if I've grown... Oh, yeah, I have grown some pure Colombian, and it was pretty nice, sort of a bit different to the Thai, uh, even in its growth. It's got wider than it did tall. You know, the ties get quite tall. But uh, <clears throat> I think what you grow up with tends to be what you favour, is, and that's that's what I found. So the tie was typically the, my go. But um, I'd happily try all the rest of them. No problem at all. I did like some of that Indian, like I said. That was pretty good. I don't know what what sort of Indian it was, but I, I think they were going to the southern part of India. So it could have been similar to that Corella. Is it Corella? Sure. Yeah, it could have been similar to that. Uh, I, I don't know, though. There's probably a fair bit of weed in India. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting to hear that. That sort of makes sense, definitely. And and you've stimulated this thought in my mind. Everyone says that the weed you grew up with is what's most memorable to you. 
But there's sadly a whole generation, maybe even two generations of young Australians who all the weed they know literally is uh, like PGR riddled beasters equivalent. What's your thoughts on that? You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's, it's Vietnamese gangs and, you know, you hear lines like that. Do you know what strains they're growing? Do you do you feel like there's any way we can change this at all within the Australian landscape or it's just like going to be there? I, I think le- legalisation is the only way they're going to change that. It's those Asian gangs. You see all the time a bigger bigger and bigger bust of greenhouses you, you'll have seen on the news. And oh, we, we'd like to put a stop to this. Busting them hasn't stopped them, has it? <laughs> it's every, every other week there's another one, you know, and... and wouldn't they rather see the money go into Aussie pockets? Uh, but, yeah, with the PGR stuff, yeah, we did get some. We bought some weed from Adelaide for a while, and um, some of it was that Jack Hera, which we really quite liked, but then they grew this other stuff they called uh, Himalayan, Himalayan Indica, and that was that, you've probably heard of it, it was large buds, really big orange hairs on it. It was disgusting. I hated it. It, it didn't get you high. It got you low. You know the stuff. Yeah, yeah, just that strain they use in all the cash cropping facilities. A lot of uh, young people, they, they actually like that stuff. That's their interpretation of what weed is. Yeah, that, that's all they've ever had. How sad. Yeah, and you know what? It's like that, that was what... Conv- so the day I decided to start growing weed was the day I had a weed sample that wasn't that bud. Because I some one of my buddies was like real technologically advanced, and in 2010, he um he gave me this bud, and he said, "Oh, that's Granddaddy Purple. It's imported from California." And I was like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've smoked weed before, you know. Like I've smoked Aussie weed, and I tried it, and it was just it just changed my life, you know. Like it opened my eyes. I was like, "Wow, you can grow weed like this." Yeah. Right. Nice. Yeah. The the boys around here. My son, I've got a son who's about 30, and um, their memories of the weed is the weed we used to grow. So I, I <laughs> hear, uh, oh, that diesel. Remember that diesel? What a lucky boy. <laughs> <laughs> when he was a teenager stealing my weed, I couldn't believe the hash and the weed he used to steal. And thinking about other people who had nothing, and this boy's, they're out there getting... Uh, acid off uh, Bear, you know, Bear from the Grateful Dead, the manager. They're getting his acid. I've heard the name, yeah. And they're getting uh, weed and hash off me. I think, what, what an upbringing these guys are having, eh? <laughs> God, the stuff of legends. I, you know, it's funny. I was actually just talking to a, a mate the other day and I said, I think one of the purest acts of love you can do as a cannabis grower is to be able to leave your children a strain. <laughs> Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, I always think about it. Like whenever I have a guest on the show and they're like, oh, you know, some seeds I got off my dad. I'm like, I wish I had some seeds I got off my dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my son would say, well, give us a bag now and I'll I'll start with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So the next part of this person's question was, you know, they're asking about the like the favorite sativas and narrow leaf drug types. And they said... 
I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation here, so just bear with me. But they basically say, do you have any details on the Hmong Hill Tribe Thai? Is it actually from Hmong or is it Hmong? I don't know how you pronounce it. I've heard it's just actually a fancy name and it actually came from a, a guy called Prof 77 who lives in Thailand. Do you know, is it actually a land race or is it just from someone? Yeah, it's absolutely from Prof 77. I went and visited him uh, twice in uh, central Thailand there. And I I asked his wife recently. He's, he died. And I asked his wife, but she didn't go into much detail. Uh, she said that um, uh, she got it off her father, that Thai, and um, their family grew weed. And that was basically what I got out of them. So I, I don't even know where the Hmong part of it came from. I, I, they never said that to me. They may have said it to one of the guys they gave it to, which was Kanga's friend. And um, but I never, I never heard Hmong mentioned. But that that seed is. I've shared that with someone. I sent that to someone, and they've done a remake of it, and then shared it with other people. So that that's where that seed come from. I probably still got some of it somewhere. But um, and yeah, it's originally from Prop Seventy Seven. I, I I'm glad to hear them mentioning the Prop Seventy Seven. That's the important part. That the guy that shared it gets a little bit of recognition. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, definitely. That that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, kudos to our listeners. You know, they my listeners are only scholars and high quality intellectuals. You <laughs> know. um no but that's good to hear you know shout out to our fellow historians out you you've just made me me wonder though you know as when you mentioned you might have some seeds left i've got to ask because i love asking breeders this out of all the seeds in your library what are the ones like you're most excited about or feel are like the most rare seeds you have so to speak i've I've still got some of those loud seeds and um a whole I don't know, I must have like about 10 different labelled Thai stuff and they're all just getting older. I've got this, this, you know, several tens of seed. And I'm worried that one of them, you know what I mean, how many of them can be struck and am I just keeping them just for a memento, you know, we should be growing those things. Uh, it's sad to see that happening. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't take very long, does it? I remember like some of the first seeds I ever made five, six years ago are now starting to be like fully dead because I sadly wasn't keeping them in the fridge and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, you get to a point where you're like, I like I sat on them to the point where it was deleterious. Yeah, I see people with their collections and they're really proud of what they've got, but I, I don't know if they know whether they're going to ever grow the seeds that they've got. So like from... You know, 1908, I've got this stuff, you know, but is it, is it ever going to grow? <laughs> That's it, right? It's like everyone's waiting for the uh, fake embryonic seeds to develop or whatever, but, you know, we'll have to see whether that actually happens. So the next question we got was uh, another land race. I'm going to butcher it, but I'm, I'm hoping you are going to understand the question better than I do. I get the vibe you will. So they say, uh, can you ask, is Wally familiar with... Campuchian land race honey. Oh, it's Cambodian Campuchia. Yeah, I think it's that psychoactive honey, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if you feel like you know what they're talking about, go for it. Hey, honey. I wish it was that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> definitely try some. I wonder what those bees are eating. It, yeah, it's it's one of the flowers. I think there's um there's like a an atropine type drug in there. So you essentially get what we would call an anticholinergic reaction, which uh is I got to admit, you know, um I remember I I spoke to a very senior ED doctor one day and he said the most insane hallucinations like I've ever seen a person having was um, from that anticholinergic sort of effect, not from like LSD. He's like, you know, LSD makes you like trip a bit, but like an anticholinergic delirium, like people will like jump out windows chasing dragons, like like full on like. Wow. Um, so I so think that's what the honey is. Does that flower get you high or is it the bees in yeah, I be- Yeah, I believe in the same sense that like, you know, scopolamine from um, Datura and stuff like that. I think it's that same sort of vibe. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Have you tried Daichira? I haven't. I got some seeds and I'm too scared to touch them. <laughs> yeah, I've got it. I've got it growing out the back here. We tried it when we were kids and uh can be a little bit scary. Yeah, well, I just remember the guy who gave me the seeds, Mr. Bob Hempill, shout out, uh, lovely guy. He was just like, oh, just make sure you're wearing gloves when you touch them because like even just touching the seeds, like you can get high off apparently, like it just goes through your skin. I was like, oh. Yeah, I remember in PNG when we were younger, they they reckon that where the Daichura grew around the houses there, that um, you should probably rob those places because they sleep really deeply. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because <laughs> I guess over there in PNG, they're using it like, I don't want to say medicinally, but like they're purposefully ingesting it, right? Yeah, I would say so. I don't know. I, I was just a kid, so... Yeah, sure. Well, uh, hey, tell us, tell us about your PNG adventures. We forgot to touch on that. Yeah, we went there. My father got a job over there. I, I can't even remember what it was. He was a seaman, so it was like sea search and rescue harbour master. He sold lighthouses at one point, which I don't know. You ever come across a lighthouse salesman? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a niche one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I spent a couple of years there, and. Um, in the darkest parts of my life, you know, when you're feeling really down, that's that's things I look back on because it was awesome. It was just so good. We used to, every day uh, after school, the school was across the road from the beach. We'd wander off to the beach. It was low tide and we'd just spend hours walking amongst the coral looking for, uh, we're actually looking for sharks, me and my friend. <laughs> I don't think we ever found any, but uh, plenty of octopuses and crabs and you know all the different shapes and colors of coral and was beautiful uh but it's really sad to know that that where we were it was at port moresby and it's just not like that anymore i've been told it's horrible you wouldn't want to even swim in there they say you know so that was like 1974 to, to now which is a fair while but uh it's totally ruined they reckon which is a bit sad yeah wow okay and i mean do you, are you familiar with the geopolitical landscape there like i heard just i mean it sounds like you were sort of talking about like the waters and the the general environment but i've heard it, it maybe isn't even necessarily particularly safe at the moment do you, do you keep tracks on that at all 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure how safe it ever was. I think it was always <laughs> okay. They used to walk around with those big bush knives. You know those big bush knives? Uh, oh, yeah, like like a machete sort of thing. Yeah, that, and they would use them. They're pretty brutal. You know, they were, I, they were like children, you know what I mean, I, I think. Uh, so happy and happy-go-lucky, but you don't upset them because if they got angry, you know, they could be pretty dangerous people. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. The different, like, it's amazing the different cultural differences. Like, I I remember um, when I was uh, doing some volunteering at a at a school, helping tutor some refugee students just to try to help catch them up to sort of the same level as, you know, like what someone in year four in Australia you would sort of be expected to be at that level or whatever. And I remember they were telling me because there was a few of them that that had like um were from PNG and. They had um like a lot of scars on their arms, and I was like, "Oh, what's that from?" And they were like, "Oh, you know, like in my culture, like we often settle like family disputes with just like small knife fights." <laughs> you reckon it's true as well? Oh, they they were pretty brutal sometimes, and and so strong, and uh, the injuries that I've seen them and get inflicted by or with, uh, and they barely even notice it, you know. It's, I'd be crying my eyes out or whatever, you know, at that point. But these guys, a big chunk of meat comes out of their leg and they're, no, it's okay. I'm all right. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Tough people. Yeah. Yeah. Strong. Culturally. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. The different cultural perceptions of pain. Like in some cultures, like pain is like a good thing. It's like religious experience almost but there you go okay cool well thanks for the experience on the png and it ties in well because one of our listeners wanted to know that uh they had read online a while ago many years ago that you were selling png and i think png has had a bit of a uh, revival in terms of its popularity how would you describe that strain would you say like you know it's largely like the other sort of southeast asian varieties or what what makes it unique for you I don't think I ever sold any. I got I got a mate that was over there to try and collect some seeds, but they were uh, I, I've still got them. I don't think I ever got any to strike. But a a friend of mine has grown some since that he got directly from PNG, and they were they were all right. But um, no, I don't. But I, I did grow some when I was younger. Um, it was one of my first uh, indoor experiences, and. Um, was pretty awesome actually it was really fruity sticky top top glass weed png gold it was and um delicious i think that you know things that stick in your memory are the ones that things that are good so i can still almost remember the smell of that stuff it was delicious and um i'd absolutely grow that stuff again but i don't know they, they don't have uh seed banks or do you know what i mean they don't have ways of keeping stuff to to be able to get that stuff again from when i was 25 would be pretty hard pressed to get it i should think yeah right <laughs> sometimes i you you've made me realize that yeah i don't you don't think about the logistics of like yeah they don't have little baggies over there or anything like that it's it all sort of plays into the picture doesn't it yeah they're just growing what they can and you know remaking seeds and I did, I did talk to a guy that um, studied PNG cannabis, uh, Ben Thomas, I think his name was. I uh, spoke with him for a while. He thought I was like a qualified scientist or something. He wanted me to do a journey over there, funded by the government to go and study cannabis, which I said, absolutely, I'd love to do that. But 
I'm not the guy you think. I'm just a, a bit of a stoner guy, you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, absolutely, I would love to. He, he, he put out a paper at some point. I, I put it online somewhere, I'm pretty sure. So he thinks it was uh, – they um, did some tests and it was one of the strongest sativas that uh, came in at like 16% THC, which is for a land race sativa, that is pretty high. Yeah. Wow, that's special. Okay. So, I'm going to have to go look for that paper after this chat. I'll have a read of it, but that's cool. Okay. So, the next question we got was, throughout your sort of growing journey, did you ever struggle with anxiety related to the law? Like, were you ever particularly concerned about the law coming and busting you or was it just something you were never particularly mindful of? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I was always worried about it. I suffer anxiety. So, um and like we talked about earlier, sometimes cannabis can help relieve that, but sometimes it exacerbates it too. So, um, yeah, I've, I've always, I, I used to have dreams that uh, I was getting chased uh, all the time by police. And sometimes it was crocodiles, but I still think it was police. <laughs> Do you know, just that idea in your head. Yeah, uh, wow. So yeah, I've, I've had plenty of that. I don't seem to have it so much anymore. I still dream a little bit about cannabis. And but not about getting caught or chased or I've got big fields of it anymore. So right there you go. Okay, cool, cool. And the the final fan submitted question we got from our Patreon fans was: uh, Do you like ABC in terms of the effect? Do you think that ABC could ever be a viable commercial variety, or do you think that its potential lies purely? in the, like, discretionary slash camouflage sort of aspects? I don't see why they couldn't do what they've done with Freak Show. I'm not even 100% sure Freak Show isn't related to ABC uh, because we grew a few and some of them look very similar, the sort of leaf that pattern that it had. There's no reason why you can't cross that to a really potent variety and make some F2s and then select some, you know, freaky-looking leafed ones. Um, absolutely no reason why and then have your camouflage you know you cake and eat it too basically uh, my friend wanted to make I think he's halfway through making some um, freaky bastard ducks <laughs> oh wow the the trifecta <laughs> that'll be cool that'll be cool okay something for us to all keep our eyes out for so we're now moving on to what we call the final five questions so uh, first question what is the best or single most memorable experience relating to cannabis you've ever had? Oh, um, that's that isn't an easy one, is it? I, there's been so many, so I've done it for so long that I couldn't really pinpoint one. Uh, I just used to love getting really high and um, you know, forgetting my worries. Uh, load off, load off your mind. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I did have a, a bit of a, when I went to Thailand, <clears throat> the first time I, I actually might have been the second time I smoked weed there, but um, had like a, uh, I, I got freaked out a bit. I think it was uh, a combination of jet lag and low tolerance. And I, I smoked this stuff and um, seriously, I was spiraling down this dark tunnel. See, this isn't a, a good experience. It's actually a bad one. But um, I had to be, you know, really mindful that it was actually just cannabis 
and and it's all right, Wally. You, you're going to come out of this okay. It's only that's how strong some cannabis can be. It's really mind altering. Some of it. I think that's one of the things that's missing in modern cannabis. Actually, that aspect. You know, it's more about I don't know more body and that head that trippy sort of you know hallucinationy sort of out of spiraling down dark tunnel stuff. Uh, it's missing these days it can be a pretty wild ride <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's I thought been I a minute crazy. i really did i i thought i was losing the plot and i kept having to say to myself look it's it's only pot you're going to be okay <laughs> i love it i love it when you got to like back yourself off the ledge <laughs> okay so um on the other end of the spectrum What's the least memorable or most disappointing strain you ever tried that maybe was hyped up, you know? Like, I mean, we, we hopefully it's not the answer, but I mean, earlier on we spoke about the Northern Lights, you know, everyone raves, but you were like, oh, it wasn't really our thing. What's something that for you was like, didn't really live up to the hype or was just flat out really disappointing? Oh, I did a test grow once. I think it was Sensity Seeds. I can't remember. It was really in the early days when I first come online and, Got to know Gypsy, and and he somehow I ended up with this test grow. I'm pretty sure it was Sensi Seeds. It was called Gorilla's Gusto. I think that's what it was. It was terrible. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> I, and I even had like about five of them to choose from, and I just thought it was just rubbish, you know. But I don't think it made a. I don't think they released it. I'm sure other people must have found what I found. It was pretty disappointing. Yeah, I don't know how. I think someone had sent it to them and said, oh, this is the best stuff ever. You should try that. But their version of best stuff ever versus mine just wasn't the same at all. Yeah, God, that that's interesting. There you go, seeing the downfall of Sensi in front of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's do a desert island situation. So theoretically, uh, back when you were ingesting, I'm going to drop you off on a desert island with just three strains of cannabis for the rest of your life. What three are you going to take with you? Oh, I'm pretty sure I'd take that Lao stuff that I was talking about earlier. And um, I guess I've got to have a, a hybrid of that. And I, I, I made some with mango haze, Lao cross with mango haze. Mango haze is one of my favourites, actually. So probably take that with me too. Um and then I guess there's days where you want to dribble on your shirt and lay on the couch a bit, so maybe take a bit of indica. I don't know. <clears throat> I haven't grown a lot of indicas. I've recently grown a bit of sour bubble of bogs, though. You know, bog sour bubble? Yeah. Very indica-y looking. I, I didn't smoke it because I'm not smoking anymore, but uh, it's going to have, like, some of the largest leaf I've ever seen. It was like a big palm leaf and um, not very vigorous. just grew small. Uh, when you flowered it, it didn't really stretch out or anything like that. I don't know how ratio of indica it is, but it looked pretty bloody indica to me versus yeah. fibers I was growing, you know, and hybrids. Uh, I think it's 100% indica. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah. Maybe something like that to dribble on your shirt a while and relax. <laughs> you can't yeah. all day and be euphoric all the time, I guess. So <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Okay, so second last one. Who is the one person from all of history you'd love to sit down and pick their brains about cannabis, alive or dead? Oh, I'd probably... I, I had met Sam already in an embarrassing situation, to be honest, for me. 
But um, I think he'd be the guy I'd want to talk to more. I think I'd tend to agree with you on that one. I, I think our buddy Jingles has a lot of interesting info for us. Absolutely. So, final question for our chat today. If you could go back in time to anywhere, any place to collect either some seeds or some clones, where would you go? You've got a time machine. Take you wherever you want. Oh, I'd definitely go get some of that tie. Oh, yeah, like some of that first import stick. Yeah, and then I'd like to go into my own timeline and go and get some of that webbed hybrid stuff and the old duckswood that I had too. I really love that stuff. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Some of the stuff I had when I was younger too, you know, uh, memories. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. That's so awesome to hear. Okay, well, I think that pretty well brings us to the end of things. Were there any uh, general comments or shout-outs you'd like to make? Oh, just a general shout-out to the community who I've been a part of for a long time. I've loved it. It's been great. There's some great people. You know, I some of the people I've met through forums and that, uh, they just give you a refreshed, uh, you know, vision of how good people can be, generous and kind and there's some bloody good people out there. Yeah, I, I can definitely back that as well. You know, a lot of really good people looking to help each other out exist in the scene. So yeah. don't get bogged down thinking it's all profiteering. No, I, I've got messages from people to just say, are you okay? How are you feeling? Are you good? Do you know what I mean? Fancy someone putting out a bit out of their day just to make sure you feel okay. That's pretty decent. There's some good people in the cannabis community, eh? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, you know, thank you so much for for coming on the show, Wally. You know, one half of the Wizard of Oz, uh, just countless memorable strains brought to the scene and just, you know, likewise, a huge amount of work you've put into, whether you knowingly or not, help progress the Australian scene. We're all very grateful and appreciative for your time. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much for talking, man. Well, there you have it, my friends. What do you think? Huge shout out again to Wally for taking the time to stop by and share some of his knowledge. Likewise, huge shout out to you for making it to the end of the episode. As always, huge love for our amazing sponsors who help make the show happen. Seeds here now. Best seed bank in the industry. All the latest breeders. Did you check out the latest crickets and cicada drop? Go hit them up. Guarantee not just on germination but satisfaction. Why would you go anywhere else? Seeds here now. Thank you so much. Likewise, your garden has to be pumping, happy, healthy, pathogen-free in order to find the keeper pheno you're after. And in order to do that, we recommend you check out our buddies at Coppet Biological Systems. These guys help set the industry standard for what predator mites should be. Check out the Afiparem for your aphid problems. Check out the Spidex Vital for any spider mite problems. I promise you, Coppet got your back. Check them out. Thank you so much. Huge shout out to Top Shelf Seed Bank, number one seed bank in Oz, stocking all the hottest breeders internationally and domestically. If you're after my work or my buddy Feral Genetics work, check out Top Shelf Seed Bank. And last but not least, a huge shout out to the Patreon gang. You know we love you, the lifeblood of the show. People who support the Patreon truly help continue to make episodes happen, all while gaining access to unheard content, exclusive episodes, and giveaways. If you want to help support the show, please go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast and consider signing up today. 
I think that's just about it from me this time, gang. I'll have to catch you for the next one. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you.